Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. I am a longtime adult entertainer and more recently a sex certified sex educator. This is the anti-racism sex education episode. Uh, we all want to be anti-racism, uh, but I am a white sex educator, so I try to look through a lens, but I'm not the one to teach or offer the framework. So we are going to speak to our guest today, Dr. Zaleka Hepworth-Clark. Hi, Dr. Zaleka. Hello. Greetings. Hello. Greetings. Look them up, zaleka.com, or on Instagram, their personal is at Dr. Period, Zell, Z-E-L. So hello, Dr. Zaleka. Uh, we want to get to know you. What are some of the identities that you experience or explore personally? Right now, I'm really into co-liberator. I love to assist and collaborate in people's journey towards liberation. Hmm. And that's really a lot of the work that I do as um a clinical sexologist and um, yeah, just a African centered social worker and a therapist. I just like to say co-liberator because I feel like a lot of the healing work that I do is to support liberation, self-liberation and um, also being intersectional on the way. So for me, it's black liberation, trans liberation, fat liberation, disability justice, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, another identity I identify as a Zaza. So that's my non-binary parenthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, uh, well, I gave birth to twins uh, over a year ago, and it's been very interesting. I'm attempting to practice decolonizing nonviolent parenting and... Um, Mm-hmm. It's a journey, so um, that's very present. Mm-hmm. Uh, those those two are pretty present right now. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I have a ten year old, and I only have one. I don't have two children, so my goodness! At least when they're older, they can play with each other. Is something you might have heard already. <laughs> yeah, they're already playing solo and with each other. That makes me so happy. I noticed on your website, you talk about being someone who really enjoys sleeping. Mm-hmm. What is that yeah. called? Sleep sexual? Sure. Yes. I just, um, well, shout out the nap ministries who really helped me um, <laughs> survive. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sleep as a form of healing, sleep as a form of reparations, as a form of anti-capitalistic paraxis, sleep as um, as a form of rejuvenation. And, and um, for me, um, yeah, shout out bedgasms or people who have the ability to uh, just really find euphoric pleasure just going to bed. And uh, there's something about falling asleep that is really magical for me. And mm. um, yeah, just uh, I have a theoretical framework that just that just includes people who orgasm in their sleep or people who really find a lot of pleasure and joy in sleeping. I'm slightly sleep deprived because I, um, (laughs) aforementioned children, chest feeding babies, Mm. uh, two of them throughout the night. And so, um, I'm relating to sleep at a really, in a different way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's such a resource when you can't have it. Mm-hmm. It is oof. I'm a big advocate for napping and also even reframing um depression from uh indigenous psychologies have taught me like uh your body's response to disappointment and its call for deep rest, depressed, deep rest. Whoa. I'm like, that makes sense why we can't even get out of bed because our body's like, um, no thanks. <laughs> Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm going to read just a little bit about you on your website. Um, So I'm 35 and I remember thinking, wow, Dr. Zuleika Hepworth-Clark is really accomplished and they're so young. Can I ask how old you are? Oh, wow. I forget. (laughs) (laughs) Touchdown in 86. So that would make me 30. 
55. I'm 35 and I'm 86. I'll be 30. Okay. Yeah. 86, baby. Yeah. yeah. So um, I've just been really committed and I've been blessed to have been born into a very supportive family. And I got real clear on my passions and purpose pretty early in life and just kept, I'm, it's, I keep going. I'm, I'm going. Mm. I, um, yeah, so I, I loved studying sexuality and I got my bachelor's in sexuality, culture and oppression and master's in sex ed and social work and then my PhD in human sexuality. And it's a everlasting, lifelong learning journey about mm-hmm. sexuality and gender. And I'm still, I'm still working. I'm still working it. I can't wait to read your biography in like another 35 years. So on your website, it says Dr. Clark specializes in human sexualities, gender and relational diversity, clinical and cultural sexology, sexosophy. Is that the philosophy of sex? It is. Sexicology. Integrating um, nature and sexuality and ecology, sexuality and ecology. Okay. I hope maybe we have time to talk about that later too. Um, Let's see. Also, African-centered social work, anti-racist sexuality education, critical autoethnography. Autoethnography is a new one to me. Auto, self, ethno, culture, graphy, writing. So Mm -hmm. it's essentially the study of self, but um, I use it in a a critical way where, um, yeah, I just... My my method research methodology of choice is studying myself as it as I am living life <laughs> and I'm in a part of different cultures and um, yeah it's a fairly newer ish mode and I love self knowledge and continue to learn more about the self even the self outside of what we've been conditioned to know about ourselves, or our powers or our erotic intelligence and our healing intelligence within our inner verse, our inner universe. There's so much there. And I humble myself because there's a lot to us. Even yeah. outside of Western ways of knowing, there's a whole other way of knowing self, your future self, mm. even. Okay, so you specialize in all of these things and oceanality. Yes, African eroticism or um, African sensuality, affirming the normality of pleasure and eroticism. It's definitely different. It is so emancipatory, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, we can talk more about it, but the the simplest definition of it is African eroticism, but it's, mm-hmm. it's deep. It goes real deep. I would love to explore some examples uh, in a little bit, just so people, um, yeah, people have that opportunity to learn what that yes. means and what that can mean for themselves. Yeah. So, okay. So why, I think I might know the answer, but why do you do all of this work that you do, the education work that you do? Um. I love expanding minds. I love increasing self-knowledge. And actually, oppression really pisses me off. So I wanted to do something about it. And so specifically, um, I'm really into knowing things in from multiple perspectives. And um, so fancy way of saying this is I want to do, undo sexual epistemic violence, where basically how we know what we know about sexuality has been very limited and at the expense of um, not hearing perspectives, indigenous perspectives, liberating it, uh, perspectives that can be really beneficial for us. And what we've, what we, all that we know is um, uh, from, usually from people in power, usually from a perspective from a white, cisgendered, heterosexual, able-bodied male, maybe even Christian, that, Mm. um, that makes it seem like this is the way, this is a fact, when actually it's not 
as objective as they make it seem like that's part of it something that comes to mind is like i hate him so much i don't even like saying his name i don't hate him but like ben shapiro exists as a person and that little right-wing alt-right douchebag if you don't know who that is that's great but um he's like the other end of the spectrum from what you offer as a person and one of his things is facts don't care about feelings and it's like but you're not being factual though <laughs> it's that's so okay. that's that's fine they don't i you know feelings are a whole feelings are my little teachers they are little messengers that have offerings but yeah facts are different but it's interesting who manufactures facts when you start mm-hmm. studying how facts are created sometimes they're not actually factual like mm-hmm. they may be a statistic it may be a question that a researcher asks a specific population and they got a response so it's true for that particular time period within that culture, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily applicable throughout all time, throughout all cultures and mm-hmm. all people. So mm-hmm. or or I think and you kind of said this, like if there's an outlier response or an atypical response. Ooh, these outliers. <laughs> ooh, that's what got me so mad about studying statistics. Like how there are literally equations that will eliminate outliers. Like outliers matter thinking of things on a spectrum has been really helpful for me. I don't know if that's part of it, yes. right? Rather than oh, yeah. this is the norm. Very helpful. The spectrum is very helpful and the under, just acknowledging the grays and the mm-hmm. complexities of many situations. Mm-hmm. So what are some examples of American attitudes about sex or, you know, some of these like wrongs or some of these non-facts that we have accepted as fact? There's so many. One that's come up before on this show is that men are inherently dominant. Mm, That's interesting. So a lot of straight women expect their male partner to be dominant when I've noticed a lot of mine are actually pretty submissive or switchy and I just expect them because of gender roles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, expectations or assumptions that get projected and socialized and conditioned normativities, even what we think is normal. So like amanormativity is the assumption that we want a lover and um, that uh, other relationships are less than, or Mm. people want, should should get married, 2.5 kids, this relationship escalator where there's a kind Mm. of progression that should happen. And um, not all people want children. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not good for all people. Not all people need uh, sec- uh, need to have sex or not all mm-hmm. people shout out asexual. You know, not all mm-hmm. people. There's such a range. Um, phallocentrism, just the centering of the penis as, a, as, as it relates to sex, as it relates to pleasure, as it relates to orgasms. Um, More examples of phallocentrism. So to anyone who missed that, that's like focusing on the the penis and usually the hard penis mm-hmm. oh yeah uh-huh. and and that can be very my experience as a sex worker that can be very stressful and like mind narrowing and restrictive for people when they're engaging sexually with me mm. and they want pleasure but what they're doing is just focusing on their genitals so are my genitals hard are they like is wetness coming out like are they not hard um and they've forgotten to feel the rest of their body and they're not breathing. <laughs> and so, and I witnessed this over and over again. Mm-hmm. Some people have a really hard time getting away from just the idea of like my genitals, right. or my heart. Performance anxiety. Yeah. And even just even pleasure, orgasm tend to just go right to the genitalia when mm-hmm. there are so many different senses. There's so many different um, erogenous zones in our body that oftentimes either has been neglected or we may not even know. And even um, uh, new ways of understanding pleasure without judgment and compassion and leaning in with a sense of curiosity into your erotic intelligence that may not be focused on the genitalia. I mean, mm-hmm. it can be, there can be so many other places, Mm -hmm. including what, you know, paraplegics teach me around re, uh, how the pleasure can even reestablish itself in other parts that can be really sexy or really Mm -hmm. pleasurable. 
Mm-hmm. Someone told me that they have orgasmic earlobes. Oh, it's a surrogate partner friend of mine. And <laughs> they said they discovered through body mapping practices yep. that they have, yep, orgasmic Shout earlobes. Shout out eargasms. <laughs> eargasms. Mindgasms. Um, mindgasms. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, Don't get me what? started. <laughs> <laughs> Can we think, oh, you know what? Here's one that I've wanted to ask about for a while. I remember, I believe I remember learning about this concept of like talking about getting away from um, the phallus, but like of the hungry, like desirous vagina or vulva. Oh, the devouring vagina. This is out of Oshunality. Please tell us. Okay, so... All right. So first of all, when I think about even dances that are um, sexual illusions to power and the strength of the vagina, it is. um, So, okay, let's go to heterosex for a minute. It is about the idea that um, the penis becomes invisible during copulation. It engulfs the penis. Hmm. It in envelopes, it swallows, it's made to disappear. And, um, you know, eating doesn't, it, it asserts uh, one's power and will over it, but the act doesn't deny power to that which is eaten because what is eaten provides nourishment to the eater. But it's like the penis frantic activity of withdrawal and being pulled in and re-swallowed and withdrawing again is like resistance. Um, but it's, seed is pulled by the demanding <laughs> and so it talks about its warm chamber allures and arouses and the muscular walls rhythmically grip and pull mm-hmm. and um it it's uh, the concealed inner depths and mm-hmm. And the origin of life. So instead of talking about what the penis is doing to the vagina, we're really making the vagina the active, in control, dominant participant. Yes, it is an active agent. What yes. a reframe. Can you imagine if our culture's sex was built around that idea instead of like smashing or tearing up that pussy? Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Beat, Beat it, it up. up. Hit it. <laughs> Even even vagina, when you look at the like Latin root meaning, it's like um, sword mm-hmm. holder or sheep. You know, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. yeah. And what idea is that? But again, there are other ways. There's other ways of knowing our bodies, and um, you know, it also talks about like the disappearance or symbolic death and reemergence or symbolic rebirth. The penis chronicles drama of life and death. (laughs) (laughs) It's back for more. (laughs) So there's a person cited on your website. uh, I'm going to butcher their name. I tried looking it up a while ago. Uh, Niseglu? Yes. Okay. That educator person, they're an oceanality educator? Is that the case? They they coined the term oceanality. and wrote about it and that's where I have all of my inspiration and expanding on the work of oceanality so they're a feminist um I think uh well philosopher and an artist as well and um yeah they really broke down some African sexuality and um rooted it in um, Yoruba ways of knowing or out of um, modern day Nigeria. Mm. And it's very different. I tell you, it's very different. And it's Oshun is uh, Orisha. So it's Oshunality is Oshun sexuality and Oshun is an Orisha. Orisha, again, hard to summarize into English, but I think about energy matrix. Mm. Um, they are worshipped around around the world and um but yeah, forces of nature, essentially. And Oshun mm. is associated with um, sweet waters or fresh water. So whether that's waterfalls, lake streams, mm. rivers, and the energy of that. Um, yeah, there's so many stories. and um, But yeah, the vital source. And it speaks to sexual knowledge and agency and sensuality and... Um, ooh, uh, creative energy connector mm. between 
sexuality and fertility and this energy flow from desire and arousal and pleasure and fulfillment and conception, birth and growth. And it's really pleasure. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a pleasure principle. It's a, a creative energy and it is erotic and pleasurable mm-hmm. and powerful and revitalizing and renews life. Mm-hmm. And why, oh, why do you think our, I just say our, I'm an American. Uh, you said you're a Jamaican, uh, Jamaican American. Mm-hmm. Why do you think American culture would be anti-oceanality or people knowing all of these things? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> maybe it's considered threatening to the patriarchy. Maybe. Patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, it's not, it, it, it undermines white supremacy. Like that's, that's not a thing in oceanality. Um, Mm. Maybe it's a fear of pussy power. (laughs) And with that, we're going to take a break. So we are talking to our guest is Dr. Zaleka Hepworth Clark. You can find them on Zaleka.com. Instagram is at dr.zell. Uh, So this is the anti-racism sex education episode. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. Thanks to everyone who voted for us in the Best of Portland uh, series uh, for 2022. We are the Best Portland podcast, and we will be right back. Hello, listeners of They Talk Sex podcast. If you heard our vaginal health and lube episode in season one, let me know what questions I did not answer in our upcoming episode with guest from Momotaro Apotheca, which deals in vaginal health and wellness. So if you have questions or stories about yeasties, BV, irritation, shaving, if it relates to vaginal health and wellness, we want to hear from you. So write to they talk sex at protonmail.com and here's to a great second season welcome back to they talk sex podcast thank you to our sponsors and those hot little discount codes that people keep offering me for cool uh, hygiene and healthcare items speaking of vaginas we do that sometimes so Our guest is Dr. Zuleika Hepworth-Clark. We are talking about anti-racism sex education. Uh, I'm learning about oceanality. Uh, We're going to go right into listener questions. So, listener question one. (laughs) This is such a, okay, I'm going to read this. This is a longer one and we'll get to what we can remember. So, listener question one. Someone says, since sexuality is a part of human nature, why do you think it's so stigmatized and misunderstood? Mm. Um, Furthering to this question, this person also asks, sexual interactions and knowledge has been gendered in the colonial gender binary. So how do we unlearn or relearn sexual interaction on a basic day-to-day basis that is beyond Western gender systems? Ooh, um, I love the question and I think just exploring it can give, you know, and following your intellectual curiosities around how to engage and, and answer these. I mean, the unlearning process has been um, challenging and I just keep exposing myself to different realities, different ways of knowing. Um, and so for me, what was helpful is just learning about oceanality. That was really um, helped me free myself from uh, patriarchal colonial mentalities of sexuality and even the gender binary. So I was, I really, you know, decolonial studies and decolonizing gender. And um, there's a really great resource. So it's The Invention of Woman by Oye Wumi. And it basically shares how gender is a colonial imposition and how the Yoruba um, spiritual system and culture doesn't understand gender how we do. It's actually a genderless language. They don't have Mm. pronouns in their language, so they're understanding it very different. 
Um, I really love this um, blogger that has a great piece on the spirit of gender. Um, mm. I, uh, and she breaks it down, or yeah, really well. Um, mm. Spirits of gender variance. Um, yeah. And so there's just different resources that I expose myself to. And I keep um, listening to two-spirit um, literature and artwork and people. And um, oof, let's see. It's just a being, being humble and recognizing that there are different ways of knowing. And I'm listening to trans liberationists and... Um, just and gender fluid folks. I just keep engaging in the gender expansiveness and um, listening to how people experience their gender, a gender folks or non-gendered folks, and mm. um, and then and then exploring different ways of understanding gender around the world. That that is help. That was helpful for me for unlearning. So the book that you mentioned is The Invention of Women, Making an African Sense of Western Gender Discourses, uh, published 1997. Classic. Uh, classic. You said, yeah, author is spelled, the last name is O-Y-E-W-U-M-I. Cool. So find that. There's all kinds of it's cool stuff. An amazing yeah. scholar, and she does a lot of awesome I'm, I'm reading a book what gender is motherhood because even the association of like what that means has been very much mm. um you know what what about parents what about you know there's mm-hmm. just what happened to our village there's there's just mm. more than the assumptions and not being you know i think there's an assumption that our genitalia somehow is correlated to our gender and we really have to unpack and unlearn the difference between sex and gender and mm-hmm. recognize the queerness in nature. And like, mm. and I even learned about an avocado tree or I don't know, there's just so much diversity. I mean, fish, they, they can, there's a lot of trans fish, you know, they just be switching. It <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Let alone yeah, nature's pretty queer. That are procreating without sperm. Um, it's fascinating. So to think that humans aren't going to be diverse or they're supposed to be just this one thing. And when you really study biology, you start to see the complexities and all the components that can, that make up Mm -hmm. certain characteristics. It's, it's more complex, but Mm -hmm. we were fed this very simplistic version. We make a lot of assumptions and it is, at the expense of authenticity, self-expression, inclus- being inclusive. And I'm, I'm waiting mm-hmm. for a world where we don't even have to come out, where we can just come into, which is, you know, mm-hmm. a concept that I got out of indigenous, from indigenous wisdoms. It's like, yeah. It's, that you're not coming out, but that you're coming into. Yeah, there's, there's, there's space, there's welcoming space. There's no... Mm-hmm you know, the idea that we have to hide ourselves, our authentic way of being that is in alignment with our purpose and and self-expression and how we are contributing to society. Um, oh, yeah, there's so much. Mm-hmm. What you said earlier about, you know, what is a, the book by the same author, What Gender is Motherhood, that you're, you're reading, um, that's something I've also explored for myself is like, what does it mean to be a mother versus a parent? And I try to think of myself as a parent because to me, a mother had certain roles and expectations and a father Ooh. had different ones. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I've been doing the mother with a T. With a t- <laughs> mother, I like that. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I think... I think um, I think even our assumptions of what that should be oof, is is so limiting, and mm-hmm. the expectations are just unrealistic. Quite frankly, um, mm-hmm. it, it I have so much to say on it. I don't even know where to start. But the infrastructure, the language that we have, and the the conceptualizations are very limiting. So. I think mm-hmm. I think there's so many ways to parent. There's so many ways of being human, and there's so many ways of nurturing and protecting and 
and inspiring that um, that don't necessarily and and even what what parenting the the latest research is is suggesting that we didn't necessarily have it right. <laughs> there's mm. um, there's new evidence that suggests that there that you know there's a lot of different ways of of, of parenting. I'll just put it. Oh, that. That we shouldn't necessarily, that we definitely shouldn't try to craft something around a nuclear family. Was that what you were I mean, referring yeah. to? Yeah. I mean, just actually, yeah, that's that's a, yeah. a colonial idea of family is a whole thing when we may need more than that. Or, you know, what about chosen family or different structures that um, it's not, it, it's the nuclear family is state sanctioned. Anyways, <laughs> I <also laughs> shout out, um, Kim Tallbear's work on um, mm. critical polyamorist, and um, she she does a lot on settler sexuality and just like critiquing um, um, settler colonialism and how that impacts sexuality and relationships and specifically monogamy, but it also goes into like yeah control mm. and why why the nuclear family is, is, um, this colonial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, you can be super harsh. You can call it a sack of shit. Yeah. It's <laughs> your Dr. Zaleka asked me before we started recording, uh, they asked if they could swear and I said, Oh yes, go off. Um, so Dr. Kim Tallbear, there, are they part of that podcast? All my relations. I would bet that they have, either been a speaker on there or they have some mm-hmm. correlation. Okay. So it's hosted by, oh, two other people. Okay. Matika Wilbur and Adrian Keene. Okay. So I think maybe they went on that. Yeah. Podcast, yeah. Some resources. Okay. Dr. Kim Tallbear. The YouTube their podcast that she's a part of blows my mind and I keep mm-hmm. listening to it. Nice. Thank you for giving examples of how do we unlearn and relearn. Um, Real quick to the first part of the question, and I kind of brought this up earlier. I said, why do you think sexuality is so stigmatized and misunderstood? And I think that's part of people keeping the power because if folks knew their own sex education, we wouldn't be so reliant on like bullshit capitalism or power roles. Agreed. Yeah. I I, I just... Yeah, I well what comes up for me is not being guided by fear, but being guided by love and not giving my energy towards fear, but more so giving my energy towards liberation. Mm. And joy is dangerous to colonialism. And mm. I yeah, I think I I just I want to f- stigma stigma reminds me of shame. Uh, and shame reminds me of sin. What if sin was a construct that didn't exist? <laughs> <laughs> I ask that every Sunday, basically, by posting you know, irreverent I'm, Jesus memes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Being it, being confined to these these man made like theories that become so real in so many people's lives that. Um, it just really prevent, prevents us from, I think it, it it's not helpful to liberation. This is not conducive to liberation. So I just, and yeah, so much misunderstanding. Yeah, around sex. And, yep, understood. So we're going to talk a little bit more sex stuff now uh, in a way. So listener question two, how would you describe sex workers and their profession? I was interested to see this one. Um, oh God, I have so much to say. How can I say it? I think about pleasure professionals. I think about working with erotic intelligence. I think about engaging in healing and, um, yeah, that's kind of what comes up for me. Um, Hmm, I love that. Working, it's, you know, our... Oh God, it's so it's so powerful thinking about it from a different perspective. And when I really think about sex workers, I I I think about even sex educators or um, sex healers and um, Mm. 
erotic dancers and even snuggle buddies. Mm-hmm. I, I think about the work to. Um, I've done both for, of those things. for joy, for euphoria, to decrease stress, for well-being, for mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think about sacred work, ancient. So my question. I love hearing that because what has come up before in argument, mostly in online spaces, but as I am part of a nonprofit and a committee to do education around why decriminalization of sex work as the best way to address some public health issues and to reduce harm, something I noticed in radical feminist um, people of color or women or queer of color spaces is the argument that sex work is a byproduct of capitalism and colonization and therefore bad. And I say, but sexual touch and healing has existed in a lot of cultures and was revered, but it's people trying to survive under capitalism that forces them to do Mm -hmm. labor, not for our own betterment or nurture, but because we have to make money. So I'm really interested Um, to hear your feedback. Capitalism sucks. And I, 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 won't deny that it drives us to take on professions that we, you know, that we may not be a whole loving. And that goes with any profession, Mm -hmm. by the way, it's not just limited to that. Um, And when I was thinking about, first of all, um, sex work also exists in uh, non-capitalistic societies, by the way. Thank you. Um, it Thank you. existed pre-capitalism, and um, and I was thinking about uh, conjuring a decolonial sextopia, or what when liberation has won, sexual liberation is rampant. What would it, would uh, one of the student, one of my students, asked, would sex work still exist? And I believe that it mm. still would. In your freedom, if yes. if money wasn't, if poverty was abolished, if we were all well, you know, healthy and you know whatever, all the conditions move move away from the oppressive conditions, we're gonna still many people will still be engaging in pleasurable interactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of us just like it. Okay, <laughs> um, again, just generalize based off of some people's experience is not fair. And it's true. There are people who, you know, that it's not a great, um, you know, it's maybe not what they would prefer. Maybe they would choose something different, but because of the circumstances, that's one of a a clear solution to what they're doing. But Mm -hmm. um, to assume that that's for, that's everyone's experience is really problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, well, I'm happy to move on. Uh, listener question three. Okay. Person says, I'm white passing. My dad is white and from New Zealand and my ma- my mom is black and Mauritius. Um, I'm white passing in every way except my nipples and lady parts. And I'm not sure how to respond to white guys who comment on how dark they are. Any help? Um, I'm wondering, it sounds like their comments aren't affirming. It sounds like, I don't know, I, I would do some melanin education and the power of darkness. Um, Mm. Also, are they aware? Are they familiar that vulvas look different? There's different, (laughs) there's all different shapes and colors and sizes and smells and Mm -hmm. tastes and um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I don't, I, I don't have a proper response, but I would start to educate mm. them, you know, and, and, and also, um, having, I, I, and then I go into the healing. It sounds like that might've been a problematic or an interaction that could be internalized. Like there's nothing darker, mm-hmm. you know, darker nipples, all kinds of mm-hmm. colored nipples, including people who don't have nipples, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I just, the, the healing, the healing goes like this. I want to have a conversation with genitals. So what if your genitals could speak, 
what would it say? Yeah, like the vagina monologues, but I'm talking about a plurilogue here where they there's multiple <laughs> perspectives and really giving voice. And maybe your um, genitals have some something to say, some healing to say. Like, what would your genitals say to homie mm. who's like, how dark are they or whatever, or whatever he's saying about them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I guess, and I would even do maybe a naming ceremony. I would be um, looking in the mirror and trying to identify different parts. Um, Anytime someone comments on my body, um, my response is usually, yep, that's my body. <laughs> like The other thing is, you're not the problem. I'll just say it like that. Sometimes it's like, mm-hmm. oh, the color of my skin. No, oh, no, it's the racism. It's the colorism that's a problem. It's not the the hue of the skin that's the problem. It's not disability that the mm-hmm. problem is. It's the accessibility that's the problem. And not to even project mm-hmm. or make this into a problem, but um, yeah, it's hard when people are projecting their arrogance onto our bodies. Um, it's hard not to internalize that. But to to re- mm-hmm. remind you of your power, there's a lot of power in mm-hmm. pussy, <laughs> and there's a lot of power mm-hmm. in melanin if it's darker too. There's lots of science, mm-hmm. you know, even um, it it being a part of DNA, it being a part. There's a like a very dark line that goes across the belly in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. That's that's that mm-hmm. darkness has holds a lot of. I would say ancestral wisdom. Yeah, that's a tough one, definitely, when people comment in reaction that feels like surprise or disgust or horror or confusion. And I have to remind myself, like, wow, they just haven't seen a lot of naked people, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) Or all the ones they saw looked the same. He needs needs some. Yeah, yeah. He needs to, you know, look at some. He he probably hasn't seen, seen enough vulvas. Exactly. And that's so that's something I try to chuck it up to people's like lack of experience without making them feel bad. But I will sometimes kind of be like, well, you've never seen that. Yeah, and now and you have, you know, like moving on. His arrogance isn't your responsibility either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, we're gonna make time for these. Okay, so listener question four. This is a big one. So if you're able to give a shorter response, I appreciate it. But let's see what we can shove in here. How has colonialism shaped monogamy? And was it practiced as widely around the world um, pre-colonization by Europeans? Um, is that kind of tough to know when records are like destroyed and whole cultures are wiped out? Yeah, it's really challenging. I, I would, there's a, but Sex at Dawn goes a little bit into the history mm-hmm. of monogamy. Um, that's a good resource mm-hmm. that might be helpful. Um, look, people related and loved in multiple ways. The whole idea of monogamy is very interesting. Like, you'll find your star-crossed lover and you'll only be with that one person for the mm-hmm. rest of your life. Um, that's monogamy is one, but actually we're not even, people don't really even practice what's happening these days is Mm. serial monogamy. Like, oh, let me date them. And Mm. then (laughs) I don't even know what it's, it's not even real monogamy (laughs) out there. It's toxic. It's toxic. It's uh, compulsory monogamy that's Mm. out there. So um, let's see, pre-colonial, how colonialism, um, I think about, yeah, well, first of all, there's so many non-monogamies that have been well-established and different ways of supporting each other and make building families and community um, and loving. So uh, what it did was say, this is, people should get married and people need to have a family that look like this and people need to love like this and you can only be attracted like this and your body's supposed to do this and having that be the standard and to which people aspire is what has been very oppressive and um there are many cultures that understand that there are different ways of loving that works works for them so last question um 
Listener question five. Someone asks Dr. Zuleika, what's your take on race play as a BIPOC dom? And then they say, me, I'm the BIPOC dom. What's your take on race play to incite white people to embrace anti-racism? Ah, um, let's see. I think about education. You know, I love Miss Velvet's work, uh, or Mistress Velvet, who incorporates Black feminist thought into um, the way they practice kink and um, uh, doming. Um, I think it can be very healing and very powerful. It also can be exploitive. And, you know, I think it's important to think critically. However, whatever your, your, your niche is, whatever your calling is, and I think can, can be very healing and, and, and opening up, uh, or just working through traumas and, uh, when done carefully and, um, intentionally and spiritually, it can be really mm-hmm. powerful. Um, and then, you know, I kind of had to release my responsibility to um, inspire people or uh, to know that uh, to join the struggle. Like, you know, sometimes people are going to have to realize this by themselves. I don't know what's going to be the wake the wake up call for them, but if if it's something yeah, I think I like play in general can be really healing especially for adults just having a sp- safe space to interrogate, to mm-hmm. explore. Um that's where a lot of the healing can come in. And so I'm by any means <laughs> necessary. I guess within the confinements mm-hmm. of yeah. There's there's well, I'll say harm reduction and there's some some exceptions but i think about um knowing knowing your purpose and what 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 your your talents are and to to work that and if that's that's your thing then mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. i heard so it. there's a huffington post personal um piece online i'm looking at um from 2018 meet the dominatrix who requires the men who hire her to read black feminist theory uh mistress velvet and the quote is on an individual level it provides me with an emotional sense of reparations um i do believe uh mistress velvet passed away last year yes yes yeah okay important to mention yeah Um, Okay, so let's take another break. This is the anti-racism sex education episode. Our guest is Dr. Zuleika Hepworth-Clark. Find me on lstanger.com and uh, bonus clips and journals and pics and things. Teasers are on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. Hey Elle, where did you train to be a sex educator? I went to instituteforsexuality.com. If you do not need to be ASECT certified, you can take their shorter program. It's new. It's called Sweet Sexual Wellness Education and Enlightenment Training. It's about half the price of their regular program and you can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand. You can take it online. You can take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially. Go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on On Demand Programs. You can check out their other classes too. Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. Let's continue on with the anti-racism sex education episode. Uh, Our guest is Dr. Zuleika Hepworth-Clark. You can find them on zuleika.com. Their private Instagram or personal Instagram is at dr.zell. So you've mentioned already some resources and people you've learned from. Are there any other heroes or mentors or people you can think of that you'd like to share? Water. Water. <laughs> Water is my mentor. I learned so much from the flow and staying hydrated and, um, yeah, just 
it's, yeah, it's interesting that I, water is what came to mind. But um, Audrey Lord, uh, Queen Nzinga, uh, Nanny of the Maroons, Amy Jacques Garvey was Marcus Garvey's second wife. Did amazing um, work on uh, Black liberation back in the 1920. Oh wow! Um, uh, and then Orishas like Oshun, Oya, Yemanja. Nanny, Oshumare, like there's so many really powerful um, entities and um, chosen ancestors. And, um, but yeah, I'd love to shout out Dr. Harukati. I um, co-created a decolonial sexual attitudes reassessment restructuring program, and we are the founding we co-founded the Decolonial Sexuality Studies Program at Goddard College. Mm. And um, yeah, their their work is amazing. Mm. Um, and I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. So, still so many people, so many Lifelong people learner. Um, that, that paved the way for me to be able to do this mm-hmm. work. And um, yeah. And I see some of your affiliations are the Association of Black Sexologists and Clinicians, uh, mm-hmm. the Women of Color yep, Sexual Health Network, okay. uh, Relationship Equality Foundation is another one. Water. Ah, water's a good one. I really like the soil. I go to the soil a lot. Sometimes I just hug the ground. <laughs> I'm a wood person. Ooh, there's so much in soil. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Besides some of the things we already talked about, what would you like to see change in sex education, research, or therapy in your lifetime for for your babies? So much. Um, I would love more pleasure-based liberation and um, acknowledging the limitations and um, just having multiple perspectives available, just not just one perspective, but really learning from indigenous wisdom, from African ways of knowing, Asian ways of knowing, South American ways of knowing. It's really um, critical for uh, our beings, how, how to be. And also just a lot of preventative stuff, less stigma, shame-free education, mm-hmm. um, re- research that is um, inclusive, um, so much more. They're just, I want mm-hmm. more, more, more love. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm, more love. Yeah. Broader, um, broader studies with bigger and more diverse sample sizes yeah. is probably useful. <laughs> yeah. Every time I read an article and it's like a sample size of 500 men and 800 women, mostly white. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm really into decolonizing research methodologies and indigenous ways of knowing. Um, again, I mentioned water, like there's so much wisdom in water that we have yet to tap. And so even just and education not being limited to the classroom, like decolonizing education. I'm really into um, unsettling colonial mentalities. And so what, what we recognize is that there are other ways of doing things. And for us to start to be exposed to um, those other ways, which isn't really that othering. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> When we, a lot of us go into a classroom as children, the, I'm thinking about how we're like raised to definitely not so much collaborate, but look to the authority figure. Um, so it's like all the desks are in a row in a line, like facing the front. And did you ever have that teacher where it's like, oh, they're in a circle and you're forced to interact, you know, like that right there. Even the structure, um, there's pedagogical hierarchy, even in how um, uh, information is kind of like, oh, the teacher is the expert and you're supposed to just, there's other ways of knowing I'm, I'm geeking into, geeking, geeking out uh, around um, hudagogy or self-determined learning, just like allowing, like in, in my teaching, I ask my students, hey, what, what about sex or that you 
want to learn. And they tell me, and then that's what inspires me to share um, mm. what they want to learn, as opposed to this, these are the learning objectives that I have to teach you this. And then you have to prove that I taught that to you. Like those mm-hmm. structures aren't necessarily beneficial for everyone's learning styles. Absolutely not. No, I'm autistic and I have ADHD. Like I cannot remember something if I don't care about it. So (laughs) a lot of people's brains are like that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Your kids are going to be very fortunate to have you as a parent um, so that they have an advantage to unlearn and then also recognize a lot of the crap they're going to come up against Mm -hmm. uh, in the wider world. So um, you already mentioned a ton of books, resources, websites, um, so I'm going to skip that. I already asked that. Um, this is a sexuality podcast and I ask every guest this, do you have any last sex tips for our listeners? So I have some words that I'm really geeking out about. Um, I have this, uh, okay. So one of them is pronoia. It's the opposite of paranoia. It's like the world is conspiring in your favor to bless you. Like there's just blessings waiting to shower you kind of thing. And Hmm. I like to apply that to eroticism. So thinking about what your erotic sovereignty and liberation can look like and what, what would it be like if you were in fact sexually, erotically, relationally liberated? What would that feel like? smell like, taste like, what would it be like? And conjure that and to start to manifest and work towards making it happen. Mm. Um, So yeah, just making time to dream and fantasize. Mm. I like that, that part. (laughs) Um, Mm. I love integrating mindfulness and this other new um, concept that I am really geeking out about is Afro-presentism. It's where the past, present, future. It's like what it were already our ancestors' dreams. Um, it's a being a channeling your ancestry through your technology and through meditation or love or even the internet. And um, you are where you need to be in this moment. And um using the technology of connection and love and inform how that informs how we move and notice things. So yeah, I love this concept. I'm, I'm using it in sex therapy and um, really just uh, long story short, trying to learn how to be present, mm-hmm. um, having self-compassion for yourself and without judgment, just experiencing your erotic intelligence or how your body can experience pleasure how you know that to be true, not necessarily how you were taught or how other people want you to experience pleasure, which Mm -hmm. reminds me of glimmers, the opposite of trigger. So I'm thinking about what, um, what things are conducive to uh, facilitate joy and um, bring you to a sense of emotional regulation or safety. Like I want more glimmers in my life. I want to be aware of, my turn ons mm, and what advice. to do if there's turn offs like how can you how can we still move in the direction of pleasure mm, i like that so much wonderful advice thank you so much for all the resources and the reframes um thank you for being a co-liberator with all of the other liberators and thank you for expanding minds uh oppression really pisses me off too <laughs> so um <laughs> Dr. Zaleka Hepworth-Clark, thank you for being here on the anti-racism sex education episode. And I look forward to seeing what else you do once you get a break from raising uh, small humans. Yes, thank get you that so nap. much. Mm-hmm. Peace, love, your passion. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you for your rates and reviews. And I will see you on the internet until next time. Lots of us know to grab a towel when we're on our period for period sex, but what if you could just get the layer? Try getthelayer.com because it's not just a sex blanket. It's great for not ruining sheets, bedding, furniture, 
Whether you're on your period, whether you're a squirter, whether you're just trying to be polite, it's black, it's discreet. You can get 10% off when you get thelayer.com and use the code L-E-L-L-E, all caps, my name. Try it out. Let me know how you like it. It is my travel companion. Get thelayer.com.